0: Welcome back to another episode of the Supermarcato Brothers Video Game Music Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. This is the podcast where we share and discuss the very best in video game music. My name is Carl Brueggemann. And I'm his brother, Will Brueggemann. We're so excited to get to share the music of the highly anticipated ukulele. Uh, in these next two weeks, we're going to be having a two-part episode uh, focusing on the music of this game, and we're also going to be getting the incredible pleasure to talk to two of its composers. Two out of three, that's that's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. So today we're very fortunate to be
1: talking with Grant Kirkhope later on in the episode, and we're going to focus today's first part on um, some of his his compositions for this game and then next week we're really excited to be talking with Mr. David Wise and we'll be focusing on his contributions and I think we'll also try to play a couple of Steve Burke's tracks next week as well because he was the third uh, person involved in this game so this is just going to be a really fun couple of weeks as we explore this this brand new music of ukulele. I can't wait. Let's get right into it. Let's do it. So today we're going to be focusing on Grant's tracks from ukulele. What you guys heard playing in was the main theme. And uh, of course that has to feature a ukulele. <laughs> now we're talking about the actual musical instrument that's spelled with a U, not with a Y. Uh, so yeah, that that was such a fitting choice. Um, and And basically... Grant was kind of the lead composer on this project. and composed the majority of the tracks. It just kind of worked out that way. Uh, Since it was a spiritual successor to Banjo-Kazooie, you're going to hear some similarities in tone um, and even some, you know, melodic styles and things like that. So it's really fun to hear that. I think this main theme is is really effective, though, because it sounds like a modern piece of video game music. You have, you know, real performance. It it sounds like kind of taking that style of cartoon music and bringing Mm -hmm. it into the modern age.
0: Sure, yeah. And I mean, even though it's kind of an obvious thing having the ukulele, it is Mm -hmm. something that makes it feel more distinct from Banjo Kazooie. Yeah, Uh, I I love this main theme. I think. it's great because you can tell that it's Grant Kirkhope, just that particular you know, flat six chord choice. Mm -hmm. Um, It just sounds like a staple of a lot of his music. Right. Uh, But there's also something about it that this doesn't sound like any other piece that he's ever done before. And Mm -hmm. I love when a composer can kind of find something new, especially in a project like this where really the the task is to recapture the style of a bygone era.
1: Absolutely. So what we're going to do, guys, is we're going to play and discuss a few more tracks up top, and then we are going to go to our um, uh, delightful conversation with Grant, and then play a few more at the end. Now, this conversation, uh, we didn't strictly limit it to just talking about ukulele, so we we do talk about some other topics too, but it was a really fun conversation. So anyway, before we get into that, let's play the next track uh, sequentially on this score. This is Shipwreck Creek from Ukulele, composed by Grant Kirkhope. So wonderful! You guys are listening to Shipwreck Creek from Ukulele. Of course, this is composed by Grant Kirkhope. Definitely feels like we're benefiting um, from his his you know experience uh, working on games such as Viva Pinata. We're kind of hearing all of this coming together. It feels like it's capturing maybe the spirit of Banjo Kazooie because it's very child friendly and just happy and positive. But I actually am a really big fan of, you know, the fact that a lot of the score is in an orchestral style. And there's something so fitting about that. It kind of lends itself maybe a little bit more legitimacy. But overall, I just think
0: this is just on the nose. Oh, totally. And what's great to me about this piece is that If you muted the melody, you could still tell it's Grant (laughs) Kirkhope. Like, just, (laughs) every single chord movement is so delightful, and it's not like there's- It's not like other composers don't use those chords, um, uh, in certain moments Right uh, But when everything comes together It is this Kirkopian sound You know I I can hear everything I hear Perfect Dark I hear Banjo-Kazooie I hear Viva Pinata It's like It's just Grant Kirkope He has such a signature sound He sure um, does And it's just It's so lovely to hear Yeah, the, to me the, the elements of this That feel like Banjo-Kazooie are actually the melodic line itself. It's that yeah. kind of uh, musical humor where it almost feels a bit like a joke. You know, it's almost mm-hmm. it's trying to I think sound like a pre-existing melody, like something that you'd hear at like a carnival, but it's presenting it also the the humor to me in the juxtaposition of how it's scored with these strings and this beautiful orchestral sound as opposed to some music actually in Banjo-Kazooie where the instrument choices themselves are communicating the humor. This is sort of like a different approach on humor where the musical ideas themselves are uh, kind of silly and funny uh, but the presentation is kind of serious. It's all different ways of going about it. That's a really good observation Will. I I totally agree
1: and one thing that I think was very effective about the score. And by the way, you guys should, should buy the whole score. It's available on iTunes and, and a bunch of other platforms. So as of, as of now, you guys can all buy this. Um, what I think is really cool is it's kind of uh, eclectic. You know, there are certain tracks where maybe the instrumentation does feel more N64 style, but then there are others where it really goes in different directions. So it feels like a good mix, um, both musically and uh, production-wise. So let's move on to a favorite of a lot of people's. This feels like very, very banjo-esque. It's really, it's a lot of fun. Let's take a listen to Hivery Towers from Ukulele. You guys are listening to Ivory Towers from Ukulele, and this is composed by Grant Kirkhope. And a little bit later on today, we are going to be talking with Grant. Um, this This is actually exactly what I think Will was talking about a few minutes ago. It's perfect. We have this orchestral of paint here, which we didn't get to have on the N64, but musically he's evoking a lot of those same kind of cliches and that camp quality Mm -hmm. that he went for in Banjo-Kazooie. So it really does feel like this is kind of like the next generation of that style.
0: Well, and I think what's really fitting is... That is, I think, what Banjo-Kazooie was trying to go for But it was on the Nintendo 64 You know, th- you could only evoke an orchestra so much uh, And what's great about how uh, this is all arranged Is it actually feels like older cartoon music you, When you sure. think of humorous music uh, You know, say in old Looney Tunes cartoons Say in old Warner Brothers cartoons or something like that Uh... Often orchestrationally, you know, using the bassoons in their high register for some kind of comical effect, or here, using the pizzicato strings like that. I mean, I know that Danny Elfman was a big influence on Grant Mm -hmm. Kirkhope, and film composers like John Williams... Uh, but if you think about, you know, something like the Simpsons theme, uh, composed by Danny Elfman, he's trying to tap into that Carl Stalling Looney Tunes thing. And also oh, like sure. the Hanna-Barbera. And I, th- I think, uh, in the nineties, there was almost a resurgence of attention to that old cartoon music because true. there were, there were a lot of new cartoons being done in that style. And, uh, I, I think for whatever reason that must have been uh, a really seminal influence for the people working at rare and i'm so glad because it's it's coalesced in to not just banjo kazooie but now with ukulele mm-hmm. this interesting kind of revitalization of the classic style of cartoon music here mm-hmm. we have that great oom pa thing in the fast six eight meter Absolutely, and one thing that I'm really excited to to divide
1: this up, you know, week by week is, uh, this soundtrack does have. Uh, this this eclecticism with this a, a few different styles going around, and that is actually due to having the three different composers. So by and large, Grant's contributions do kind of have this similar style of kind of feeling like cartoon banjo music, and Dave and Steve's contributions definitely go in different directions. And that's what I think is so wonderful is it feels natural when you listen to the whole score that it goes in all these different directions because it doesn't sound like one person trying to maybe cover a bunch of different bases it feels like everyone doing what they're what they're best at so i'm excited to continue this next week so let's play one more piece of music before we talk with grant and this is one of my favorites it's called frosty Frey." let's take a listen This is delightful. You guys are listening to Frosty Frey, composed by Grant Kirkhope from the brand new soundtrack to Ukulele, which comes out. If you're listening to this when this episode is released, it comes out tomorrow worldwide. And the score is currently available. It was released last week. Um, You know, this is so great. It's so it's so clear that Grant is growing as a composer. I think his work in Ukulele is better than anything he did in Banjo Kazooie. I mean, maybe there are more famous themes in Banjo Kazooie, but you can tell he definitely has much more craft and confidence as as a composer here this is just uh, this is such a treat because it feels like classic grand it feels like you know things we've heard before, but it
0: definitely feels like he, he's grown here. Yeah, completely. I, I in something that I um, was so excited uh, about this project is it seems that um, in recent years, I mean, he's been doing so much as a composer, but some of my favorite scores of him in the last decade have been some of the more serious orchestral scores, say, for uh, Civilization, Beyond Earth... Mm-hmm and uh even that kingdoms of amalur 2 things like that that um i was really excited about because you know i, I loved his score to like perfect dark and i, I like when he gets serious and Me too dark i think it brings out certain um harmonic sides of him that are very appealing uh and so i was curious to see when he goes back to something light like ukulele uh, which is essentially a banjo kazooie successor um how how much of that would he bring to it? And I think in many ways, he was able to fall right back into that form. But he can't help but bring his experience and taste for orchestration with him. And also right. the benefit, Carl, you were commenting while we were listening to this. How much you enjoyed the implementation yeah. What I think is really nice about it Is I don't think it would necessarily fool Anybody that it's a real orchestra But it's kind of like um, How Shovel Knight Makes you feel like oh yeah I'm listening To NES music right but there's actually All these other channels and it's, it's Going farther beyond what the NES could actually Do what's great mm-hmm. about this Is this is like what our Imaginations made the Nintendo 64 sound like when we were kids. <laughs> true but yeah. if they went back and made a soundtrack with those kind of crappy general midi sounds it would sound really bad so i think this this was a great balance of using virtual instruments but not in a way um that kind of abandons i think the simplicity of the n64 sound totally agree well
1: guys now's the perfect time we couldn't be more excited to transition to our conversation with grant kirkhope please enjoy We're very excited today to be joined by Mr. Grant Kirkhope as we celebrate the launch of ukulele. We're very fortunate to get a little bit of Kirkhopean wisdom today. (laughs) So uh, thank you so much, Grant, for uh, taking the time to talk
2: with us. Well, I'm very, I'm very pleased for you to want to talk to me.
0: <laughs>
2: so, I guess
0: just to start things off here, when was the first time you heard about the ukulele project? And for those who don't know uh, how the project was started, as far as creating Platonic uh, and your involvement, you know, how how did you really get? How did you really set foot into this project?
2: You know what? I don't think I can remember that. It was such a long time ago. <laughs> I think it sort of came about because like some guys got laid off from Rare and some guys quit Rare. And you know, you know, I've been moaning about the fact that I thought maybe a you know, a platformer could do it could do the business again kind of thing. And sure. no one really belie- no one really believed me. Um so I think it took a kind of happy set of fortunate disasters to happen to make us all sort of available again. Right. So um getting like well like Steve Mails, he left. I think Chris Sutherland might have got laid off, which is incredible. Um I think Gav might have left. So I've said this before, but Gav... Gavin Price, right? Right. Um. He when we well, when we were at Rare years ago, him and his wife started to have, they had a cake shop in in Burton on Trent, so selling cakes. So so he was used to uh, all that kind of business thing, like you know, getting a business loan, you know, paying wages, all that kind of stuff. Important stuff. Yeah yeah yeah. So like I think it was left up to the rest of us. It would never have happened, but because Gav said, look, you know. Um, and I had to do this. I can set it up, and we'll just—I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. We were like, "All right, fair enough. Let's see what happens." And lo and behold, he set it all up, set the company up, um, all that stuff that needs doing by somebody who knows what they're doing. So he did that, <laughs> and um, yeah, so that's like it kicked it off. And then I guess at that point in time, like my Twitter following had got to be like reasonable, so that was a, quite a good mouthpiece to kind of get it all started off. Sure. So you know, so I could, I could kind of say, you know, guess what? Something's coming up that I think you might you might all be interested in. And uh, yeah, so I think that, that was probably it. But I guess that must be a couple of years ago now, maybe. So it must have been like maybe six months prior to the Kickstarter. Okay. I, I, so, yeah, somewhere around there, I think.
1: Well, well, I'm curious. Has this project for you been like a constant workflow, or have you been jumping back and forth other projects and kind of taking some time off, you know, here and there?
2: Uh, well, no time off, but I've been taking <laughs> uh, a lot, lots of other projects. Yeah, well, not lots, but yeah. Last year was like a really weird year for me because it's it was so busy. I just mm-hmm. didn't expect it and it's my own fault for taking on too much I think um, sure. I, did, I did Ukulele and Drop Zone I did Ghostbusters I did the movie thing that I did last year that Pierce Brosnan uh, movie The King's Daughter
0: Right, right and I've, been, and,
2: I've been, and I've been working on this super secret thing that I can't talk about for well over a year and a half maybe nearly two years now Wow which I think I think will get announced this year finally so um, that yeah so that's I mean, that's taken up my entire time so I mean my wife hasn't seen me for a year probably so she keeps moaning <laughs> about it So, uh, yeah, I was kind of, um, I really have been seven days a week since the last of February, so it's like an an entire year. Wow. I I mean, I I think I had four days off. I went to Palm Springs, I think, twice with my wife and kids, and that was it. Um, So it's been a really, you know, it's been a very, you know, uh, rewarding year. But super hard. I didn't think I didn't anticipate it being quite as hard as it, as it turned out in the end.
0: Well, I mean, rewarding for uh, us, the listeners as well. When when Grant Kirkhope is hard at work, uh, we're all delighted to hear uh, all the incredible music that you make <laughs> throughout the well, year.
2: <laughs> well, I, I hope you do. <laughs> I hope you like it. You'd have to wait and see what way. You know, when it all comes out. You
0: know, what I think is interesting about Ukulele as a project is since you mentioned, you know, you got to be this uh, mouthpiece of uh, announcing and pushing the project out to people, I think the result of that is a lot of us that have been interested in this game have almost entered into it being interested like music first. Because I know when I first heard about the project, yeah, I was excited for another um, more old school N64 esque platformer, but I was really just excited to get more music music in that style more than anything
2: me too oh that's very kind of you sir (laughs) what can I say (laughs) you know um yeah no it's you know it's been a really uh nice thing going back to that kind of thing and you know we're all friends together for a long time all the guys on the it's all the original banjo guys on the you know on the kind of core team so you know it's it's like nothing's changed really it's like it's as if banjo 2 was yesterday and ukulele's today Apart from the fact we've all got wives and kids and mortgages now, and like we didn't have before, right? You know, so that that kind of thing. So you know, all the jokes are the same, all the nicknames are the same. Like nothing's changed. It's just as daft as it was then, really.
1: So, it, so it sounds like it wasn't very hard for you to get back in the headspace of Banjo. Was there really any difference between the sound and tone of that game versus this game?
2: Uh, probably a little bit. I mean, I guess I wasn't. I didn't want to kind of just like be an autopilot and just do the same old thing that I would do all the time. I think we were all, we were all really conscious of that. We all didn't want to just rest on our laurels and go, yeah, we can do it again and that'd be fine. We wanted to try and push ourselves a bit harder. Sure. So you know, and I I, I always say it, but I'm hoping that I'm a better composer now than I was then. Sure. Uh, you know, there's no guarantees, obviously, but but I'm, hope, I'm hoping that I am. You know, so um, it was just one of those. It's been a real labor of love, and we've all really. I don't, tried so hard to make it the thing that everybody wants to see right. and we're really conscious about not just making it a retro thing it's we're trying to bring it up to date the big to bring the 3d platformer you know into the 2000s and you know make it a, a new thing again
0: well and I, th- I think a big uh piece of your compositional voice is the importance Of those melodies and those themes, regardless of the presentation. Something I'm curious about, you know, just with getting a taste of some of the music that has been made publicly available, I've noticed that in some of the music, particularly the things that you've done, there's almost this like uh, blood that runs through all of them of kind of similar thematic ideas and even similar like chord progressions for instance in the temple theme and the tribal theme and the village theme they all kind of have that uh what you've described before is the tritone chord progression the c major to f sharp major and similar kind of the the beginning of the melodies are kind of similar but what was so striking to me is that uh one might feel light and silly and humorous and another one for instance the temple theme has this almost religious uh, sacred beautiful sound how did you utilize the same basic musical ingredients to create like two vastly different emotional effects
2: well those those pieces are all channel phase right in the first level so the whole point is they are harmonically identical so it's just like it just like in Banjo Kazooie you'd go to the next to another area and the music would, would fade seamlessly so for all those tunes you mentioned they're all part of that first jungle level thing so they'll all fade seamlessly, hopefully, um, to that other version. So it, you, you won't, just the same as Band Kazoie did. Sure. So, you know, so I just tried to take, you know, because like when Gavin was describing to me what channel phase you wanted for the first level, it was like you needed a temple thing and a, you know, um, the, the, the village thing. So I just tried to do my right. usual, you know, let's try and make it, you know, slightly comical for the village perhaps and then a bit more serious for the temple. And it's supposed to be a very calming place, the temple. So I tried to make it, that kind of calming thing. Like when I first put that track out, a lot of people thought that it was some kind of underwater underwater variation, but it's not. It's a, it's an above, you know, an above ground, right. um, you know, sort of temple y things. So, you know, it's like when you're a composer, people ask you to do temple music or ice music or whatever it is. You, you kind of get that kind of preconceived idea in your head before you even start. You, you know, you think you know you can use a bit of choir or something like that to make it sound I mean, angelic, I suppose, or something right. very calming, you know, so, yeah, it's that same old sort of um, pre-programmed thing that composers get in the head for, they make a start on the music, so I was co- consciously trying to make it sound like that.
1: Absolutely. Well, I'm really curious, has working with Dave and Steve on this project, has that influenced the direction that you've taken, or or the overall sound of the project, or was it more kind of you guys are all left to your own devices?
2: Yeah, it was pretty separate, really. I mean, that was intentional, because I think when we started the project, um, you know, because the game is kind of a Banjo-Kazooie-esque thing, it was probably obvious that I would probably do the the line, share the music, just because that was my thing. But, um, But like on future games, that may change. So Dave may do... The, the most or Steve may do the most next time around it just depends what what the game is next and we've got a few ideas for that already, um so so yes yeah, so I think we were pretty separate and it was also it was pretty obvious which bits fitted which composer
1: yeah like, you,
2: you, know, you could tell that you Dave's great at some stuff and I'm good at some bits and Steve's good at other bits so it all kind of stuck together really well because the things that um, you know, suited each composer were right there, so it was completely obvious. So that was obvious from the start, like, Dave should do that, Steve should do that, I should do that, you know, that kind of thing.
1: Well, I think that's going to be really entertaining when we get to hear the entire soundtrack because it's going to be obvious who did which track because the Dave tracks are so Dave, the Grant tracks are so Grant, in the best way possible. (laughs) I really think (laughs) that you guys really complement each other's styles really well.
2: Yeah, no, we're really happy with it. I mean, I guess we're just... Not too long ago, we got the final kind of soundtrack all together. So we kind of had a chance to listen to the whole thing before, because a lot of the time working on it, we didn't. And we all kind of said, you know what? We're really happy with the way it's turned out. It's uh, Steve and Dave and me sort of said, you know, it's just, it's it really does gel together and you wouldn't expect it, but it really does. So I guess that's kind of a happier coincidence right. <laughs> than, than my planning. You know, so, but it, it it was nice to kind of get the whole thing and listen to it all the way through and go, you know what? It's a great kind of body of music. It's really It fits well together.
0: Well, and I think what uh, we love about the old Rare games, um, in addition to uh, the excellent gameplay and you know the humor and the music, was the sense that you really got the feeling that those of you that were developing this stuff, that it was a lot of fun and that it was this uh, labor of love. And I'm getting a lot of the same energy uh, from what I've seen and heard of the ukulele soundtrack.
2: Yeah, I think we feel like that. We're really just happy with it, and I think... You know, we've, we a, we've got a real love for Rare in the, in the kind of golden days when we were all there. And we had a great time. It was a really great place. And, you know, I think we, all that stuff's in our heads when you're writing stuff for the ukulele. It's all, it brings it all back to, you know, how, how great it was and how much we really enjoyed it and it's just, what a kind of nice, warm place it was. So, yeah, I think we've tried. I think it's something that just comes out in the music no matter how you try, you know, because of all that stuff that you've done before.
0: Right. Well, you mentioned, uh, a little bit earlier, some uh, just kind of how busy you've been, uh, this past year and what I've been noticing is you've had the opportunity in the last few years to do some uh, more large scale I guess you could say like serious orchestral scores Uh, a lot of them I'm a huge fan of I'm I'm particularly in love with your music to uh, the Civilization Beyond Earth Tidal Rising Uh, that stuff is uh, fantastic but what I think is so amazing is how you transition from projects like that say like a Kingdoms of Amalur uh, or something like that back into this lighter more retro game sound what what is that experience like for you do you feel like there's things that you learn in one type of project that will influence your decisions in another or is it like two different parts of your brain or
2: I think these days lots of composers we're all just kind of media composers now that can do you know games or tv or movie or whatever or mobile phone or whatever you want you know i think it's you have to be that way i think to make a living these days you have to be able to jump back and forward to all kinds of things and Mm -hmm. i always say to young guys that i meet that you know the composers that are the most versatile get the most work because if you can do lots of different styles then you're going to you know it just makes sense to you that you know you're going to get more work i mean i remember being at rare you know back in the day when we used to get quite a lot of cds from guys wanting jobs who just did edm it's a bit like it was all very good but (laughs) we used to always say you know that's only one thing you can do. It's no good to us. We need to have people who can do lots of different stuff, Right? you know, from like jolly platformers to serious sci-fi or, or big epic orchestra, whatever you want to call it. You know, it's, I think you have to be super versatile these days to kind of get round all of it. Cause people, people just expect it. They don't, they don't just think you're going to do one thing. They just think they can ask you for anything. You're just going to do it. And there's no, you're going to go, yeah, fine. You know, I mean, I'm not great at everything. I, I have things that I'm not great at, but I just say yes all the time I go, yes of course i can do that no problem <laughs> no problem yeah it's my favorite thing even if even if i can't do it at all i'll still say <laughs> yes you know so i think that you know you have to do that and like getting the chance to work on things like civilization beyond earth was amazing because i i, I known those guys before and like they just said to me you know the bits that i did they just said you know oh i wanted some epic you know hopeful music and that was it and that was the guidance it was like god i can't wow. believe this is, this is fantastic so To write that really big sci-fi thing, you know, and a bit of synth mixed in was just an absolute pleasure. And I loved writing that that music. It was really brilliant, fun to do. And when it came back from the orchestra sessions, it sounded so good. I just couldn't believe it. So that stuff still brings me to tears, I think, really, when I listen to it now. I still love... Especially like Fractal Aquion, I don't even know how to pronounce it. But. I was
0: just, I was just gonna say that that that's my my favorite theme. the the ending of that cue with the loud brass, it almost gets like the feeling of like Holst's The Planets, like it's yeah. really epic, uh, fantastic orchestral writing. That really whetted my appetite for just wanting to get more Grant Kirkhope like film music. Honestly,
2: I must admit that was the piece that I kind of tried the hardest on. It's the last one that I wrote for that game. Like it was a bit when I did the first game, I didn't really. Kind of know how big I could go, so I was kind of a little bit conservative. And then when the second game came around, Mm I just thought I'm just going to go for it and just keep getting bigger and bigger until they say, "Look, that's way too big, stop it." (laughs) And, And like they never said it, they just kept saying, "Yeah, great, great." I was like so it just, just kind of got bigger bigger. Too. so like by the time I got to Fractal Aquino it was like just chuck everything in on the, on the kitchen sink you know try and make it as big as I possibly could
0: when it's almost like your most pure expression as a composer because yeah. what I so loved about it is uh, even though you know it it had this more you, I guess you could say contemporary orchestral sound you, you could still hear your compositional influence that this is the composer who did Viva Piñata and you know Perfect Dark you, you could still hear hear uh some of the things that make up your voice and that's what i so loved and your celebration of just using pure melody is something that is really needed i think nowadays in the world of film and game music
2: yeah i sometimes feel that melody gets a bit of a look these days and i think it's mm-hmm. it's become a little bit of a a thing that you know we don't hear any tunes anymore and i've heard that quite a lot of times on various people um <clears throat> even some movie composers that i know so you know I don't know about that, really. I I think that perhaps the directors and the producers like to get rid of the melody, but the actual audience don't. Mm. You know, so I think they don't connect that well. I don't think they understand that. I mean, can sure. you see that thing on Facebook about that guy who was talking about um <coughs> the Marvel Universe and how right. gigantic it is? And he was sort of saying to people in the street, you know, can you sing Harry Potter? Can you sing Indiana Jones? Can you sing, uh, you know, Star Wars? And everybody could. This Well, can you sing uh, any tune for the Marvel Universe? And nobody could. <laughs> right. And it's a bit like well there's a reason for that you know there's not that many tunes in the Marvel Universe it'd be impressive if they could because it would just be blah I know
0: that's it you got it
2: yeah no it's true like I mean I can remember I can definitely remember the Avengers little motif and I guess that's because Alan Silvestri Alan right yeah Alan is great yeah he's a proper old school composer that writes tunes so I can remember that and I can sort of remember Brian Tyler's Iron Man but I can't remember it right now but I know I can if I really think about it mm-hmm um but, like, you know, I can't remember the rest, really. And I, feel, I kind of feel like I should be able to remember them.
0: Well, I think so many of them, like, even if they have tunes, they're so simple. It's, like, these constant, like, half-note melodies or quarter-note melodies. There's no – there's nothing different or interesting about – a lot of those themes they they don't even feel like melodies a lot of times they just feel like moving voices that I, I guess that's the melody because it's the prominent voice but it, it's not a tune in the way like the Star Wars theme is a tune or the Raiders march or Superman. It doesn't have that, I, that character that's identifiable.
2: Yeah and I think you know all that music is very epic and very, you know, it, you know, big and all that exciting stuff, but it's not mm-hmm. very remarkable. So th- I think you forget it, but I think at the time it maybe fits the action and it's it's like it's a big thing, but you don't remember any of it. And that's a bit that I I like to come away from a movie and remember something about it, you know, remember the tune or, right. you know, I mean, it's, I can't think of the last time I thought that. Even like Fantastic Beasts, I wasn't that impressed with that. I mean, it's a very nice score, but mm-hmm. I can't remember much of that apart from that kind of love theme at the end when he says goodbye to her at the – um. On the uh, on the boat, is going back. Like I, re- I remember that a bit, but like, not. And that kind of there's got kind of a motif right at the start, just after the Harry Potter theme, when it when the the beasts logo pops up, Fantastic Beast. It's like this kind of uh, it's sort of arpeggiated, a a a a something like that. And I remember that, but that's it. Right. And I was like. I was going to that movie to go. I cannot wait to get to see fantastic, fantastic well, piece. And you know? you're a
0: composer, so you're you're really listening out for those things. And if it's not memorable to you, it's definitely not going to be memorable to I think the average listener. I mean, mm. I, I have the same experience coming out of film music, where even if I think it's effective, when it doesn't stick with you, in a way, it means that the movie itself doesn't stick with you. The fact that you know people can remember a Bernard Herrmann theme from a movie from the '50s, uh, it makes them remember that film even if they haven't seen it in decades you know the music is associated to our ideas of that movie so yeah I think uh hopefully it comes back in fashion to have themes because I do think we have a lot of great uh composers like yourself and other excellent film composers that have the ability to write in that style and I almost feel like they're being discouraged from doing that in some cases
2: yeah I think you know it's hard to know what the reason is really um you just don't know and I guess Having done that movie last year, like I, have you know, I've been in that in that room with the director it, on the sound mix, going mm, right. Okay, and he's he's he wants things to be get to be changed, and you kind of go. You realize that as a composer, you really don't have that much of an important voice in mm-hmm. that process. Like even with, I guess someone like John Williams, obviously, probably has quite a strong voice because he's you know because he's a superhero and all that. But right. I guess you know, lots of times, I just don't think composers are like that high in the in the pecking order. You've got producers and you know, directors and all those people that have got an opinion above you that are just going to change it and you, you haven't got to say, like, you know, they can take your music, cut it in half, turn it upside down and stick it back in and like it, you'll hate it but that's the its you can't, nothing you can do about it, that's that's how right. it's going to go out, you know. So I think that I've really learned that these last couple of years that um, it just can be, it's completely out of your control.
1: And at the end of the day, you kind of have to give the, the director and the filmmakers what they want because you're kind of working for them.
2: Yeah, and I guess, you know, the minute you hire yourself out to somebody, you cease to be the most important person, right? You're you're working yeah. for somebody else, therefore you better do what they say they're going to find somebody else who does.
1: Well, speaking of giving people what they want, I think most people are interested in in hearing this. Is there going to be a Yuka rap that we can
2: expect? <laughs> <laughs> well, God, I mean, think about that, right? It's like really, in the Kickstarter, they put it in there before even... Before even knew the putty in there, I was like, oh God, I knew it. They kind of just were all laughing, going, oh, 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 you know, <laughs> the GK rap's got to come. So, ironically, we have we have got the lyrics to it now, but I haven't actually started on it like officially properly. So, I've got, <laughs> got some lyrics, and I, you know. I know, I just, you know, I'm not the best. Let's face it, my, you know, attempt at rap music has not been is not is memorable for all the wrong reasons. So, like, you know, I'm gonna try and do something that sounds hopefully as bad as the last one, um, you know, and that's the plan. So, fingers crossed, I, I really haven't started it yet, and I don't know what I'm gonna do. And I keep, I keep thinking we should probably get somebody else to do this because I'm just gonna make a complete mess of it. But um, maybe that's the whole maybe that's the whole point that I'm making a complete mess of it. It's as bad as the last one. Well, I
0: mean, it's 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 humour in in music that that. Can... Gets back to what it's all about. And I mean, when thinking about uh, humor in games, I feel like there's almost uh, like two different schools of thought. Uh, We've noticed in in certain games, like for instance, like the music of say like David Wise and Evelyn Fisher in the Donkey Kong Country games, uh, to some extent it seems like they're attempting to play almost the straight man where the music is so serious and in some cases tragic that that's almost the humor because it's contrasting with the experience uh but then like when you think of say like old film music like Hal Roach Laurel and Hardy or even Abbott and Costello and to some extent like that kind of cartoon music feels like what you were going for in the original Banjo-Kazooie where it's uh it's exaggerating the humorous aspects of uh the experience in your career how have you uh, like navigated these decisions of what tone to balance and what do you feel your role is as the composer
2: i think you just you know you look at the game or the, whatever the project happens to be and just think you know what does it need what's it going to sound like i mean you're going to get a pretty good idea by looking at it or talking to the guys that are making it so i guess that's still going to be the work, the kind of template of how you're going to work something out talking to somebody or or looking at it so, I think, you know, in Banjo, it was obvious it's a kind of wacky thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, as I said before, I was kind of conscious not to try and do that kind of Nintendo jazzy pop style because they're brilliant at that. And I'm not very good at it. And I make it, would be very good. So I had to find something that was going to make it try to be me, you know. Right. So I just fell across that umpire, try to anything. And I guess it was, you know, probably came from like Danny Elfman, Beetlejuice sort of thing that kind of got me into that kind of umpire thing. um And then, you know, that was, that kind of got me to the, also, so when I got did use like maybe more darker harmonies, like a Mad Monster Mansion, if I unpard it, it didn't come across as scary or too dark. Even though the harmony is pretty dark, you wouldn't know it from listening to it. So it got me. I learned that lesson that you can make something dark, but if it's rhythmically comical or there's another comical element to it, yeah, you can you can definitely get away with it without anybody going, oh, no, it's a bit dark, you know. That's so, true. You know, I think, and I think that Dave on on the original Donkey Kong he really did a real special thing there. Like the way he wrote that game was a little bit dark, like you say, in, in a lot of aspects, mm. um, but it was different at the time. So it really stood out. So that game was loaded for the music and rightly so, because Dave did a great job on it, but he did go a different route with it, um, you know, to what you may expect him to do compared to what, what maybe like Nintendo would have done. Sure. So, you know, I think that's a, you do look at the project and you write, you know, You should write for what you see really. And hopefully it gives it a bit of character. I mean, I think that the banjo thing everything with me was a little bit by accident. I just fell upon it by accident, really. So it turned out that way by a bit of a fluke. Um, and I think sometimes people say that I've got this kind of signature sound and all that, and, I, you know, maybe I have. I, I don't know if it's intentional. I just write the way I do. It's just one of those sure. things. I think when you hear, like, Brian May play guitar, you know it's him because it just sounds like him, right? Yep. It's the way he plays it. I think our Angus Young or Eddie Van Halen or people like that, you can tell them a mile away because of the way they play and. You know, I think it's every composer's hope that they do get some kind of signature thing that, that is theirs that you can kind of identify. Um, well, like John Williams, you can tell it's him, whatever he writes, just because he's got that, the way, way of writing, the way he uses the, 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 the glockenspiel, for instance, that's everywhere in, in his mm-hmm. music. You know, it's very kind of American marching band thing, sound, I think, in some respects. Um, you know, I think that you hope that you find that thing, but you never know if you really do. I guess until he died, and then so, someone says, oh, that was a signature sound that they had, you know. Well, so, I mean, uh,
1: I, in my opinion, I think both you and Dave definitely have that. You definitely have that signature sound, but when you're listening to one of your uh, tracks, it's so clear that this is a Grant track or this is a Dave track. So I would say you guys both definitely have that.
2: Oh, well, that's good news. <laughs> yeah, so,
1: well, yeah. you know, getting, getting back to talking about the differences between uh, back in the day and this project, one thing that I'm curious about is, did you have any challenges related to working with with modern virtual instruments in this project, as well as our modern expectations of how good something needs to be. When you compare that to back on the N64 one, really... Uh, everyone was just focused on the tunes and the melodies, and we didn't we didn't really care how how good it sounded because it was going to sound crappy regardless. So, what were some of the challenges uh, related to that?
2: Yeah, no, I think these days, you know, in some respects, it's got harder for composers because you, you are expected to produce something that is absolute, like you know, orchestral quality. If you're using VSTs or whatever, it's got the the bars gone right through the roof, and you're expected to mix it and master it yourself and all that stuff. You know, unless you're looking at a really high level, so. It's got far harder, I think. Because, you, you know, not just writing it is enough anymore. you got to write it and do the rest of it as well. You know, and like, right, using VSTs for orchestral stuff, you've got to you got to make sure that it sounds realistic and, you know, it, it's played a bit out of time so it sounds more human-esque and it's not quantized and all that stuff you have to think about. it's. I think it's a lot harder job than it used to be. Um, I think that, and then I think, well, when I write, um, like, synth stuff, like for, like, for Drop Zone, um, it, you think, oh yeah, I can just over-quantize it now. I don't I have to worry about performance. I can just, you know. But then you've got the other problem of like you've got a synth that's got 55 billion sounds in it, and you spend <laughs> four days looking for a bass sound that you know through the umpteen million patches for for bass. So it's that way that right. that's harder because there's so much variety. So I don't think you can win really. I think if you're if you're writing like chip tune. Maybe it's a bit easier because you've just got a few waves. Or like Game Boy, you've got a few waves to choose from, right? right. But when you're writing for like a synth thing, got, you got you can over-quantize, not write that too much. We've got a billion patches to choose from. You do an orchestral stuff, you've got a finite palette because obviously it's just an orchestra with, it, with instruments in the orchestra, but you've got to try and humanize it and make it sound properly and stick it all together to so the legato's match with the staccato's and all that stuff that you, think, you don't think about, you know? So... It just got harder all the way around, I think. Well, uh,
0: yeah, I I, I do think you you bring up an interesting point about the challenges of working with actual synthesizers. I think a lot of people assume that uh, old retro, that game sound is basically a synthesizer sound. But yeah, when you actually get into the nitty gritty of that, I guess it is more difficult. For you as a composer, uh, now that this project is going to be wrapping up uh are are you hoping to see kind of a return to this style of gameplay and would you like to do more fun throwback kind of scores like this in the future
2: i think i like to do all right i'm happy to do anything really i I like the variety i don't want to get typecast i've been lucky that even though I've done Banjo back then, I haven't been typecast as that just jolly platformer guy because I've done other sure. stuff. So it's quite nice to get to be like, have a bit of an open playing field, I think when it comes to that. Sometimes you can get typecast as the guy that does that and that can be hard to get out of. So I think I've been lucky to get out of that thing. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy to, really happy to do anything with people asking me. So it's nice to get asked to do a variety of stuff. Um, I just, no, I just, well, sorry, What's the first part of the question? I've forgotten it already.
0: Oh, no. I mean, I I think you basically answered it. I I was just interested in, uh, as a composer, if you are more interested in pursuing new kinds of projects, like types of either films or games that you've never, you know, composed in that style or that genre, or would you be interested in also seeing a return to form to this kind of action retro platformer?
2: No, I really like all that stuff. It's you know, so it's, it's good to do the movie last year. Good to do Drop Zone because Drop Zone's pretty high-powered kind of synth hybrid orchestra mix. I like that a lot. Ghostbusters was a good fun because so I got to kind of write in that kind of classic Ghostbusters one style, which mm-hmm. is really funny to do. That was good fun to do. Um, this th- this thing I'm doing right, right now, I can't talk about. I think that's a bit different again. So you know, it's been um, it's nice to do all that kind of stuff, and it stretches you a little bit, and you hopefully you can. You know, you can pull bits from the new stuff you've learned to the, to the other stuff that you're doing at the same time. So for sure, you know, you know, like it's been a real good fun doing ukulele. It really has, um, you yeah. know, and like I think I kind of feel like, like you know, glitter glazed glassier is, is a bit different to the to the stuff i have done before. It's got that kind of really nice kind of serene feel to it, and it's got that my little john williams kind of a trombone section in the, in the middle and at the end and the tr- horns at the end and i really you know i didn't write that at the start i wrote something else and andy robinson said you know you should write something else it just doesn't fit the level so i rewrote mm. it i'm so happy that i did so you know and doing the casino level was kind of funny because that was kind of uh, a bit jazzy and a little bit oceans 11-y at some point you know so it's just it's super fun to do lots of different stuff and it's nice not to get typecast so people still think you can do different stuff you know so um i'd like to hope that i would get to do some more movie stuff so i'm certainly i certainly love to do it um and i'm chasing stuff all the time i'm chasing like cartoons as well I just i haven't gotten it yet <laughs> so I am, I am trying um you know so yeah i'm interested in everything really if it's a mobile well, keep- phone game i'd still do it if it's good i don't care really We'll keep
1: at it. We, we are definitely very much looking forward to that secret project. Hopefully that will be announced sometime soon. So everyone definitely stay tuned to uh, Grant Kirkhope. You can follow him on Twitter at Grant Kirkhope. Grant, thanks so much for talking to us. We can't wait to hear your future work.
2: No, thank you for out talking to me in the first place it's very kind for you to talk to the old the old has-been that I am
1: (laughs) and I think the first uh guest we've had this is a three-peat third time on the podcast so thank you very
2: much that's it you see I've just come so old I've been around so long I can get that far (laughs) (laughs) well Dave's
0: catching up uh (laughs) that's very true next week we'll we'll hear from him as well so maybe (laughs) he he, he'll be the old has-been next week
2: (laughs) no great stuff
0: all right, Grant. Thanks so much for talking to us, and have a
1: great
2: rest of your day. No worries. See you Bye.
0: Gosh was that ever fun I so, so fun. love talking to that man
1: <laughs> He's so funny So fun So warm He's just um, Yeah We're so lucky that
0: We've had him on now Three times Let's, let's hope we can keep Keep that going <laughs> Hopefully he doesn't get sick of us uh, But yeah We were just uh, What a great guy We were delighted to talk to him again thank you so much Grant for coming back on the show Uh, let's get back into some music before we close out today we want to play you a few more compositions of Grant from ukulele and then like we mentioned we will be back next week uh, with an episode focusing on the other half of this score the music composed by David Wise and Steve Burke and we will actually be sitting down and talking to Dave Wise again, so that'll be really fun. Yeah, probably more of a focus on Dave. Uh, I think we'll try to include a
1: couple tracks from Steve as well. Um, we weren't able to get all three of them interviewed, but I say, like I said, I think two out of three is, is, is pretty impressive. And yeah, they, their their, uh, their contributions were really, really awesome to the score as well, really kind of um, giving it a different tone. So yeah, let's play a couple more tracks today. I'm really excited to move on to this. This is, i believe believe grant's favorite um contribution to the score um this is the world two theme and he did mention this in the interview is kind of uh elements of this are kind of his nod to john williams so let's take a listen to world two from ukulele This is delightful. You guys are listening to the World Two theme from Ukulele, composed by Grant Kirkhope. This just makes me smile, um, because it—he has mentioned before that it's, you know, it kind of reminds him of, of John Williams a little bit. But it's—it's it's so different, <laughs> you know. It's—it's it's so just. At the end of the day, it's Grant Kirkhope. This reminds me so much of his work on *Viva Pinata*. He just has yeah. these certain melodic kind of contours that he just
0: can't—he can't resist. Um, and if it keeps working, you know, keep doing it. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, what I so love about uh, Grant Kirkhope is he coalesces things from film music harmony and we talked about older cartoon music and this array of uh, uh, musical and harmonic influences and he just runs free with this confident vocabulary yeah Uh, it's almost like when you hear a great classical composer and they just have such a great working knowledge of classical functional harmony that they're just running uh, free with it and what i think is great about a lot of film music is the use of certain borrowed chords and Mm -hmm. there almost becomes this newfound sense of harmony but it's really in composers like Grant Kirkhope that Establish things like that Because though he wasn't the first person To use some of these chords By running freely with such confidence And in the same piece You know, having a this moment in Lydian And then going to that flat 6 And then back to 1 And then doing that tritone chord mm-hmm. And then, back, you know, it's like He's constantly going on These harmonic adventures That if sure. you try to analyze them In a classical context It's very advanced But he's using them in a functional way Well, I like what you
1: said about running freely Free. Another and another sense that he's running free here is he's not really concerned with um, you know, there's going to be times when he's kind of retreading uh, territory that he's already traversed in other projects, and he's not really afraid of that. He knows that's going to happen. He's not really concerned with that. You know, for example, the next track we're going to play, there are definitely elements of it that remind me of a particular piece from Banjo Tooie. But he's not really concerned with that because he's gonna he's gonna win you over when you listen to the whole piece of music. There's going to be elements of it that explore new ground,
0: and so yeah, he right. he definitely feels very confident and free. That's why it reminds me of a classical composer, because when you think of, take like Haydn or something, mm-hmm. he had such a big output and was constantly writing music. Uh, you could examine tons of his pieces and say, oh, this kind of sounds like this, and this kind of sounds like this. Mm-hmm. But that, That's not the idea, you know? Each piece has its own function, and um, quite literally in the real world had its own reason for existing. Right. Uh, and so I, I just love that confidence um, and th- just how comfortable he is in his uh, skin Well, another thing that you can hear in this track there, There's a lot of heart put into this And it
1: makes sense, you know, when he said that He actually had to redo this Because the designer said the original uh, piece that he wrote didn't fit So you can really tell he was, he was giving it his, his 110% with this Will, do me a favor Can you listen to the last five seconds of this? Does this not sound like a Back to the
0: Future cue?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's
0: the same. Um, using the celeste, and in that same chord progression, mm-hmm. the one to the uh, to a chord built a tritone away and back to the one. It's kind of like the diddle diddle mm-hmm. diddle diddle didn't from Back to the Future.
1: Well, now let's move on to the last track we're going to talk about today, and this this is just classic uh, Kirkhope here. Let's take a listen to the Temple Theme, also known as World One Variant Two. Here we go. <laughs> guys are listening to the temple theme from ukulele, composed by Grant Kirkhope. Uh, yeah, this this is a great kind of last track to have. <laughs> it kind of sums up his style in this score. Um, you know, we've we've heard this melody before. He he mentioned this in the interview that this first uh, part of the game. You know, there's a, there's a, a few tracks that feature the same basic um, melodic ideas and these different variations. And the start of this, what I was kind of alluding to a few minutes ago, was that it reminds me of Atlantis from Banjo Tooie. Uh, But if you just stick with it, and I did see plenty of people commenting and saying, oh, it's the same track or whatever, but it's not like you have to keep listening. and It goes into places that are totally different. I think it totally outdoes that Atlantis track. I think this is much better.
0: Uh, This is just wonderful. Well, yeah, and it gets to that thing we were just talking about. Um, I I, I think there's different philosophies when it comes to composition. Uh, There's some people who believe, like, every piece needs to be its own island and (laughs) can't have any, you know, commonalities with other music. But, yeah, I mean, uh, that's just kind of something that would be forced on it. I don't think there's anything innately that requires that. And, really, all music is built of features that really do already exist in other music. Um, Not to say that music is just like a collage process where you're taking this thing from that and this thing from that. Uh, but either knowingly or unwittingly, you're going to end up creating something where it's like, oh, this moment is very similar to this. And then it moves into this, which is also similar to that. And, you know, if the complaint is that it's self-referential, I mean, that happens all the time. And not just, you know, video game music, sure. but film music, classical music, pop music. I mean, I, I, I think part of it is if you enjoy just hearing something completely different every time... If that's your value, then you're not going to get something good every time If you want to get something good consistently every time from somebody You know, it's probably going to come from a composer who knows what they're doing And is very comfortable within their own voice Not to say that versatility isn't valued But I think Grant Kirkhope has shown over the span of his incredible career Just how versatile he is Here, here, man, yeah, and, and that was so
1: evident today Today was so fun because it felt like we were going home again Like, oh yeah, we've been in this place before, but you know you're in good hands. And I'm just so happy because it's so clear that that this music had the luxury and had the benefit of his years of experience, all the projects that he's worked on since Banjo-Kazooie. You know, he mentioned in the interview, like, I hope that I've grown. I hope I'm a better composer. And he, it's so clear that he is. Going back to this was such, was such a good choice. You can tell that it doesn't feel uh, saccharine because it's not like he's stepping backwards in time. It feels like he's still, uh, he, you know, he still has the standards that he would have in any other project. And this, so this was so much fun. Guys, I'm really excited uh, next week to focus uh, on Dave's music um and talk with dave and also yeah play a a few um steve tracks as well because like i said what they brought to the soundtrack was the total other side of it you know probably a little bit more rhythmic a little bit more groovy um some of the steve tracks um even have like some chip tune elements to them and so just a really fun mix i think when you listen to this whole soundtrack which i highly recommend you guys doing you're definitely going to be left with a sense of there's something for everyone uh, everyone right. is going to like at least a few tracks in this so what we're going to play you guys out with today is the world 5 theme which is which is really beautiful which is another grand composition um, thank you so much for joining us today uh, for part 1 of our ukulele special uh, some plugs here at the end um, you can check out our website at SupermercadoBros.com. you can listen to every episode of our podcast we also have our original music there um, you can follow us on Twitter at Mercado Bros. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to us on YouTube. We just put out uh, another uh, awesome video from a new live Mercado Band session that was Airman uh, that we just put out for Mega Man 2. We're going to put out a few more of those. Um, so that, that's that been a lot of fun. Also, uh, on iTunes, thanks to everyone for leaving nice iTunes reviews. That really helps us out, helps other people discover the show. Thank you so much to our wonderful patrons. Uh, if you're not familiar, you can support us on Patreon, which helps us uh, you know keep this show going every week with the costs uh, and time it takes to, to, to do this. And last thing to plug is not next week, but the week after, we will be having our listener show and tell. Uh, episode so we've already gotten a slew of wonderful submissions so definitely get those in as soon as you can
0: absolutely and uh if you are a fan of film music at all we encourage you to check out our sibling podcast on the marcato brothers network yes underscore that i uh host with marty uh, you can follow underscore on twitter at underscore underscore show and the second underscore is silent all right, guys,
1: that's about it. We'll be back with you next week while we continue to explore ukulele. My name is
0: Carl Brugeman. And I'm Will Brugeman. Have a great week, everyone. Peace out.